Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is Champaign County Auditor George Donos. Good afternoon, George. Good afternoon, Liz. Thanks for having me. Okay. You won handily in November, two years after a ridiculously close call against John Farney. How soon after losing that election did you decide, you know what, I'm going to do this next time? That's a great question because under normal circumstances, next time would have been 2020. So there was no reason to make a quick decision. And so you had a little bit of time to think about it, and you thought, I mean, once everything kind of got moved around, Diane Michaels came in, then you thought, well, let me do this now. This feels like the right time. The Republicans didn't give us much uh, time to make up our minds. The installation of uh, John Farney as treasurer and the swearing in of Diane Michaels as auditor all occurred. The, the announcements for that occurred in November, late November of 2017, and we had one week. Laurel and I had one week to uh, get our petitions ready. You were ready, though. You were a veteran. At I got more than 700 signatures. I was surprised. that it was. It, it's amazing how much more productive you are under major constraints. Speaking of surprising, you were the first CPA to be elected auditor. How the hell have we elected people to the job who aren't CPA? Seems like a no-brainer. I don't know. There are 12 elected auditors in the in the state of Illinois. I think about half of them have a professional designation. Even if it's not CPA, it might be a certified management accountant or certified fraud examiner. We've got the University of Illinois. The University of Illinois had the number one nationally ranked accounting program. It's still ranked very high. So you would think that that we'd be able to bring a CPA to uh, the auditor's office. I don't think that accountants tend to do politics that much, and I don't think that politicians do accountancy that much. So you needed to have a good intersection the right person at the moment. Now, after your 2012 defeat, you kept hearing voters would like to have someone who had a CPA in this position. You completed the one-year Master's of Accountancy program at the U of I. Do you think that was the difference in winning, finally? I think it's helpful, and uh, I'm sure people were well-prized of that credential because I got very nice feedback. Certainly, once I was in Brookings, people people knew. It didn't didn't get me over the top in 2016. Of course, that that was the one that was basically 50-50. There's no question. Credentials make some difference at the margin. I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you that math is hard. I actually hate math, but you spend your days immersed in it. Why would one want to be an auditor? I desired to run because I thought that I had something to contribute and that using using math, using accountancy, using familiarity with budgets on behalf of the public directly rather than a private sector employer is more exciting. It just feels like it is meaningful. Do you spend a lot of your time explaining the difference between treasurer and auditor? Not really. You don't have to do that. I don't have to. Uh, there, there's no question that different counties do things differently, and, and certain tasks originate in one office versus the other. But for the most part, the treasurer is our banker, and the, the auditor is checking things as they go out the door. It's basically that simple. Now, I didn't realize this, but you went to Deerfield High School. You're a Chicago boy. I did some time in Deerfield myself. How different is the vibe and culture of Champaign compared to living in the Chicago suburbs? That's a good question. I I did not perceive it uh, too much initially because so many of my classmates were from the suburbs. The suburbs have traditionally had a strong representation here at the University of Illinois. Now we've uh, diversified our student body somewhat. Certainly we like to have out-of-state payments and we have a large contingent of international students that did not exist prior. So I had a smooth transition, I would say. Both feel familiar and, and very natural to me. Speaking of high school, my favorite fact that I learned about you is that you got a varsity letter for being the statistician for the high school track team. You're also a member of the forensics team. Forget sports, you made numbers and science cool. So did you know you wanted to be an accountant back then? No. 
It did not occur to me. I knew uh, I had a few classmates who were studying accountancy. I think they went to Northern. I, I just didn't have that much background, immediate background in financial topics. So my bachelor's was in economics. Again, I was thinking about large scale public policy. So that was very interesting. But then I took the microeconomics class. Uh, you're trained to think of things through the, the profit motive and the, the needs of the firm. And that's a completely different model. But it's a certain way of thinking that if you understand it, you can, you can apply it in new domains as well. Champaign County now has, is this true, still has year-to-year budget deficits? I use that language in the debate. If you look at the, at the way we compose budgets, they're, they're done on the cash basis, and they're not going to show a deficit at each year. However, if the fund balance for the general corp is reduced from year to year, then, then that difference is, in fact, your real, your actual deficit. But it's never planned for, and that's why I do want to make a distinction. It's not the budget. Then uh, the nursing home requires transfers and, the, and there's operational deficits that were never planned for and those do accumulate. Talking about the nursing home, perfect dovetail, do you have your own ideas of what we can do to fix the nursing home issue? We did have a 12 to 10 vote very recently on a $200,000 allotment, a transfer to the nursing home to, to cover old bills. And there was some displeasure about that, however. But I think that both sides should appreciate the, the reason we're doing that. The fact is the nursing home, we did make the decision to sell it. So uh, all we can do at this point is maintain continuity so that the handoff goes as smoothly as possible. The ones who, who voted against that uh, transfer certainly value that as well. And the, the big picture is one that they were, they were happy with. So there really shouldn't be too much political conflict. I think it's more posturing. You've said you want to tighten internal controls, improve the financial reporting process, and strengthen the ongoing audit of accounts payable. Obviously, all of that takes time. Have you started implementing some of these goals? Certainly. Uh, I take a close look at ongoing bill paying. So when they don't follow policy or they're not done as efficiently as they could be, I do make it known to the elected officials or the department heads. Not loudly. Not loudly yet. There hasn't, nothing has arisen to uh, the level where I didn't think that that could be uh, dealt with collegially. But I do want everyone to know that I'm looking out for the taxpayers' interests, and we're all taxpayers. You've been a teacher at the high school level. You've taught at Parkland, at the University of Illinois. What was the hardest and most rewarding high school, community college, or university teaching? I think the older, the easier. And that's probably personality and fit, because if you've got students who are in an elective class and they're committed to learning calculus and they need it for college, wow, your interests are aligned. There's not going to be, yeah, there's, there's not much resistance a little bit, only because of the age. And many of these uh, students are they're 27 now. I do run into them from time to time. They've made me proud. A lot of them made some tough choices. One student forfeited full scholarship and a soccer scholarship to come back to the University of Illinois because the engineering program was stronger than where he, where he went. Uh, so I, I, I like to see him embody the, the, the same values I'm trying to impart when I'm being rigorous and teaching calculus. I think the hardest would simply be um, getting to know a variety of, of younger age students who, who come with some little challenges or behavioral that they're not part of the curriculum. They're, oh, wow, you've got you've to extend yourself as a personality. I'm not a parent, but I was an older brother of, of, out of six. And so I had to reactivate all, all those sympathies, disciplines, understandings, and perspectives. 
You're still teaching though. I mean, basically in your office, you're an educator, you're a leader. Tell me about the makeup of your office right now. The auditor's office has six full-time employees, including myself. Four are accountants, one's an administrative assistant, and one's the elected official who happens to be an accountant. I guess that's that's the way I could say it. There is uh, the chief deputy auditor who is responsible for getting the annual financial report out in its detailed form. There is a senior accountant who is mostly concerned with accounts payable in all its dimensions. And then there are two accountants who um, separate additional AP duties with, excuse me, accounts payable duties with accounts receivable and fixed assets. You have said the ultimate check and balance on expenditures and the best guarantor of politicians' frugality is transparency. You sort of implemented more transparency and accountability. Have you gotten any pushback from that? Not yet. And I don't anticipate any, but you never know. All right, let's talk about the blue wave. You won with almost 56% of the vote. Your win was less surprising than, say, other Democratic elected officials, but the job of county executive was designed for Gordy Halton. Many of us thought it was an unnecessary level of government, present company included. It's here. How much interaction do you have, or does your office have now with Darlene Kleppel? I speak with Darlene at least twice a week. We have a nice, constructive relationship. She does not seem to be building an empire or adding staff or anything like that. So I'm actually impressed with her frugality. Shouldn't add a single new FTE, a full-time employee, except for herself. But again, that wasn't by her own design. She's doing the best with her own full-time engagement that she can and is looking at a strategic plan and maintaining efficiencies, but a full-service county as well. I'm thrilled she's here and she's amazing. I've had her on this podcast, but I'm also amazed that we wanted to spend $600,000 in order to add a layer, a level of government. Okay, now that's my figure. (laughs) I think Darlene will get us much less than $600,000, I'm sure of it. That was my estimate based on probably my assessment of Gordy's designs. What is your role with the rest of the county board? I know you have to go to meetings, you have to give reports. What types of things do you present at each county board meeting? Uh, at each county board meeting, the the report of expenditures not following policy is given. The expenditures might violate policy for a variety of reasons. It may simply be that someone did not provide enough support, enough receipts with the uh, the check that they desired to have go out. It could be there were not sufficient uh, bids, competitive bids for a large purchase order, or it could simply be and this happens with the nursing home. Unfortunately, it has to is the payments of bills outside of their budget year because we're behind. So those are three large categories that that you'll have. I'm available to give narrative on any departure if there is concern from the county board. But typically, it doesn't have to be this way. It's a resolution and it's approved if they have the confidence that there are reasons for it. The county board, as an outsider, seems like such a partisan body. It doesn't have to be that way. Your position definitely isn't. Your job is nonpartisan. So you you go to the county board and report just the facts, right? You don't have to have an opinion, or do they look to you for an opinion? I think that unofficially, you you always have an opinion. You're a human being, you're a taxpayer, you're a voter. And we work together on campaigns, and I talk to county board members of both parties, of course, and have a, a level of collegiality with them. So I think the opinions come up just because I might be closer to the operations, and if they like my assessment, why not? Why not give an opinion? But not publicly so much. I mean, the, the two big uh, responsibilities I have are to advance the, the claims against the county and make sure that they're 
supported and to do the counting for the county. And that, that's, that, that's a strictly fact-based thing. George, I need you to dumb something down for me, because earlier you mentioned some counties elect a county auditor, some don't. How do you decide who does what? And is there a population level? The way the statute was written was that uh, counties are allowed to have an elected county auditor if they are between 75,000 and I think it's 3 million population. That, of course, was written to exclude Cook County. And I'm not exactly sure why. It's, it's, it's not like they don't have an auditor. But probably a lot of people who have power in other ways have some say-so and, and who does the auditor functions. And it's not a single individual. For counties that are smaller than 75,000, they're just simply not required to because it can be expensive for small counties. And they might tolerate the uh, loss of internal controls by having that performed by the same person as the treasurer. But there is a risk in doing so. That's why we had the fiasco in Dixon, Illinois. She basically con- she brought together both roles and, and uh, never took vacations. And then somebody finally unintentionally discovered the secret bank accounts. Will you continue to run again? Are you in your dream job? You're there, third time's a yeah. charm. Yeah, I think it's great. It's a good fit. I'm contributing, and the job is something that I enjoy. When do you have to circulate petitions? When does all that start over again? <laughs> well, for me, because it's the unexpired term, and I run a full four-year term in 2020, that will happen between September and early December at the end of 2019. And so we can walk in parades with you after that. Oh, you'll still see me at the uh, 4th of July in the uh, Labor Day Parade. Now, before I let you go, at a party we both attended, you walked around, chit-chatted with people. Your husband took the dance floor immediately. Is that? Would you say that defines the difference between the two of you? No, and I don't recall this. <laughs> I was on the dance floor. I remember being there later than he was. I didn't see you dancing, but uh, is, he, is he fully supportive of, of you as an elected official and the scrutiny that comes with that? He is. Thank you so much for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. George Dono, Champaign County Auditor, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me.